The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. We can see that illuminated sign that marks the end of the journey. This vaccine will help us get past this pandemic once and for all. We need people to have faith that this vaccine is safe and that they should take it. The thing that's going to stop us from seeing the end of this pandemic are people going, oh, I'm not so sure. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Roger Hearing. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepker. Now shortly we'll be taking a look at the future of monarchy after a year of changes for the royal family. Our guests include a Republican and a defender of the constitutional monarchy. But first, let's have a look at what's making news this morning, the lobbying scandal which remains front and centre for the government. Civil servants have broken their silence and described David Cameron's lobbying efforts as persistent. They said the former Prime Minister helped Lex Greensill lobby the Bank of England to make up to £20 billion of funding available to companies as part of the financier's campaign to get access to Covid assistance. And at the same time, Boris Johnson's former aide, David uh, Dominic Cummings, has been blamed for leaking the Prime Minister's text messages. Several newspapers say that Downing Street insiders have named Cummings as the source amid an internal inquiry into how messages between Johnson and the billionaire James Dyson were leaked to journalists. But now let's get to the subject of this week's special. We're taking a look at the monarchy. Following what has been a year of change, the Queen has just marked her 95th birthday, her first without her husband, the Duke of Edinburgh. Now, his funeral last weekend reminded everyone of the history and ceremonial attaching to what is one of the longest-lasting monarchies in the world. But what is the Queen for in 21st century Britain? Why does a developed democracy insist on having an unelected head of state who is also head of state of 15 other countries within the Commonwealth? The latest YouGov poll says that 63% of us want to keep the monarchy. But will that change when the Queen dies? Well, joining us now, I'm very pleased to say, is Robert Hazel, Professor of Government and the Constitution at University College London, also co-author of the book The Role of Monarchy in Modern Democracy. Robert, welcome to the programme, and thank you so much for being with us. Let me ask you, first of all, what is the role and job of the sovereign in 21st century Britain? Well, the Queen in Britain is uh, the head of state. She's a hereditary monarch. But in that respect, uh, it's not so unusual. There are half a dozen other countries in Western Europe which also have a constitutional monarch. And by a constitutional monarch, I mean a monarch who has no political power. So the Queen reigns, but she does not rule. We are governed by our elected parliament and government. And everything the Queen does, she does on advice from the government. But if there is no real power in the role, is there any real purpose to a monarchy? Most of us uh, see the Queen more often in uh, another respect, in which, in effect, she acts as head of nation. And in that role, she represents the nation at times of national celebration, at times of national mourning, uh, like the mourning we've just gone through for the death of the Duke of Edinburgh. And she speaks for and to the nation at times of crisis. 
so as a very good example of that, people may remember that uh, last April, at the beginning of the coronavirus crisis, the Queen gave a special broadcast to, uh, in effect, to rally and to comfort her people. And uh, interestingly, all the other European monarchs uh, also gave a special broadcast to their nations at around the same time. Robert, there are ceremonial powers, or at least there are powers which are sort of ignored by convention, things that she potentially, or a further monarch, could do, uh, still has the power to do, but they just simply aren't actioned. I mean, in the constitutional terms, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to have that, does it? Well, the Queen is the ultimate guardian of the Constitution, uh, and so she has the power not only to appoint the Prime Minister, which by convention she does by choosing that person who can command the confidence of the House of Commons, but she has also power to dismiss the Prime Minister. And when, uh, at the height of the Brexit crisis in the last Parliament, there was some speculation that if there were a formal vote of no confidence in the government and the Prime Minister refused to resign, um, what would happen? Well... Uh, if he refused to resign in the face of a formal no-confidence motion, then the Queen might have been obliged to dismiss him. So these are powers deep in the background, um, but they're really important for the continued safeguarding of our democracy. Um, If there were to be a republic in the UK, what do you think the constitutional route to that might be? The constitutional route to that uh, would be almost certainly a referendum, uh, because it would be a very significant change in our system of government, Um, and then uh, an act of parliament, uh, legislation passed by the Westminster Parliament, to abolish the monarchy. But that same legislation would also have to specify how the new head of state would be chosen. And in Australia, 20 years ago, They did hold a referendum in 1999 on whether to become a republic, um, but that foundered because of division amongst the Republicans about how the new head of state should be chosen. In short, um, there was a uh, disagreement over whether the new head of state should be directly elected or should be in some way selected or appointed by their parliament. Now, you mentioned Australia there, and of course, one of the interesting and perhaps strange facts about the Queen is that she isn't just head of state here, but head of state of, of many other nations, uh, although she is gradually losing her position because uh, many have decided to go for a, a president route, not, as you say, Australia as yet. Does it matter that she is losing these uh, other elements? Does it change her status, do you think? Uh, it doesn't matter to the British monarchy in the slightest. Um, And the Queen uh, has always made it completely clear that uh, it's up to the peoples and the governments of these other countries whether they wish to continue to be a monarchy or not. And indeed, during the lifetime of the Queen, some former monarchies have become republics um, and others have considered becoming republics. Australia is not the only uh, realm which has held a referendum. There have been referendums in the smaller countries of Tuvalu and St. Vincent and the Grenadines, and those both chose uh, to continue as monarchies. Um, But I think we 
could anticipate that uh, when the Queen dies, some of these other countries uh, where the Queen is head of state may want to review the position because that will clearly be uh, an important turning point. Yeah, indeed. Um, But one other question, I suppose, closer to home. Uh, There is pressure for uh, Scottish independence, support for Scottish independence amongst some. What would be the position then if Scotland, let's say, were to break away from the UK? The Scottish National Party uh, has always indicated that if Scotland becomes independent, they would want Scotland to continue to be a monarchy uh, with the British monarch as the Queen or King of Scotland. Uh, And so Scotland would simply become one of the realms uh, like Australia, Canada, New Zealand, Jamaica and some of the other countries where the Queen is still the head of state. What about the other potential change? You mentioned that when the Queen dies, that, that, that there may be reconsideration, certainly in some parts of the Commonwealth. But what about, as some people have suggested, that Charles, who is not necessarily the most popular member of the royal family, or hasn't been, is, would there be a way in which he could be uh, perhaps slightly put to one side and, and William would take over straight away? Or is that feasible within our current constitutional setup? Well, when the Queen dies, Charles will automatically become king. Uh, He becomes a king the moment that she dies. Um, And having waited so long um, for, uh, in effect, as an apprentice, um, the heir apparent, it would be quite natural for him to want to assume the throne and perform the royal duties, which he spent so long preparing. But it might be equally natural if, after reigning for a few years as an increasingly elderly monarch, he chose to invite Parliament to hand on the throne to Prince William. But that would be a matter entirely for Charles as king um, if he decided to abdicate and hand on the throne to Prince William. Parliament would need to legislate to give effect to that change, as happened in 1936 when King Edward VIII abdicated um, and the throne passed to his brother, who became King George VI. Do you think um, that changing attitudes towards the monarchy, you know, in society as a whole, I mean, not just communications, but, you know, perhaps a lack of deference towards the institution, a focus increasingly on inequality and on racism, are, are those the sorts of things that might bring about an end to monarchy? I don't think it's likely that uh, changing social attitudes uh are a potential threat to the monarchy. Don't let's forget um, that several other European countries also have a hereditary monarchy, in particular the three Scandinavian countries, Norway, Denmark and Sweden, and countries like the Netherlands. And they all have very strong traditions about equality. Um, They have much bigger uh, welfare states than we have. Um, They have less inequality of income and wealth, but they nevertheless have a hereditary monarchy, which, like the British monarchy in all those other countries, is extraordinarily popular, with um, opinion polls consistently showing support for the monarchy ranging between 60 and 80%. The countdown has begun. 
This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Now, we've heard some arguments in favour of the monarchy. There's a movement, of course, in Britain to replace the Queen as head of state with someone elected. This is the case put forward by the think tank Republic, which campaigns for the abolition of monarchy. Well, joining us now is Graham Smith from Republic. Great to have you on the programme, Graham. Um, I guess I'll start here with the latest YouGov tracker poll that I had a look at. I mean, they ask a number of questions, but one of them, is the monarchy good or bad for Britain? 55% of Brits say good. Only 11% say bad. I'm sure you're familiar with the stats. You want the Queen to be removed and for Britain to have an elected head of state, but not many of your fellow citizens agree. Well, I mean, that question doesn't ask that. That doesn't get to that point. But if you ask, do you think that we should get rid of the monarchy, then it's uh, usually up around 20 to 25%, uh, which is uh, you know, 10, 12 million people in the UK. Um, you know, most people don't stop and think about it, and most people don't really care that much. That's the real story, is, is that most people in this country are fairly indifferent to the monarchy. They, you know, they will uh, get annoyed if the, if the royals do things they don't think they should be doing. And there was a, a pretty strong reaction um, when there was accusations uh, made by Meghan Markle and Harry uh, the other week. And, um, and when they spend money or when Andrew's getting accused of whatever he's been accused of these days, um, you know, people otherwise, it's just in the background. It's just like, well, you know, it's there, can't be bothered to think about it and don't care. All right, but Graham, if you're putting the case, then why should we not have uh, a system that works pretty well? Most people uh, think there's not a huge issue in having a monarchy in the day-to-day. As you say, most people don't really care. So, in a way, why not keep the thing as it is? Well, it doesn't work well. It doesn't work. It works incredibly badly. I mean, the people it works well for are the people who are in government at the moment and at any time, and the people who are in the royal family. That's it. It works badly for, for Britain. I mean, it's wrong in principle. This is the fundamental point. It's wrong in principle. It's undemocratic. It's, uh, it's wrong in practice uh, in the sense that it is not accountable. It's highly secretive. I mean, historians have said it's more secretive than CIA and MI5, and when it has absolutely no reason to be secretive at all. Um, and, it, you know, they routinely use their public office to uh, pursue their own agendas, to protect their own interests. They spend millions of pounds of public money on themselves in ways which would get MPs, for example, into huge amounts of trouble. And the, it's bad for our constitution. It gives us uh, a very powerful centralised um, government uh, using the Crown powers. It means that we uh, have an obstacle to serious reform on other issues like the House of Lords. And it means we have a head of state who may as well not be there because she only does what she's told by the Prime Minister. Well, in that case, who would replace the Queen in a republic? Who would be, for example, you know, British president? Well, the person we elect, that's the point. I mean, the thing is, it's not about who it is. You know, the Queen isn't, uh, isn't doing nothing because she's Elizabeth Windsor. She's doing nothing because she's a Queen, a monarch who is unaccountable. And if she did anything independently of the government, it would cause a crisis that would bring the monarchy down. And, you know, any monarch's first job is to protect the monarchy. Um, you know, what we need is a head of state who is elected 
not taking political decisions, but taking constitutional decisions as and when they're needed, and otherwise representing the country. And but I we don't really need... Be, but we'll yeah, we don't. But but, but but we don't need, in a way, at the moment. We have a we have a sovereign who doesn't take major power decisions like that at all. So it doesn't really doesn't matter. Any, Why have someone elected? Doesn't take any decisions at all. And this is the point. That, you know, if the Queen um, just never turned up to work. No one would notice because everything she, the only constitutional decisions she makes are rubber stamping the constitutional decisions of the Prime Minister. And in a parliamentary democracy, that puts huge amounts of power in the Prime Minister's hands that should not be there. Now, if you look at Republic of Ireland. They have a a Westminster-style parliamentary democracy, a prime minister in the lower house, you know, almost fully elected parliament, and they have an elected head of state who, if the parliament or government does something which is outside of the rules, then that head of state can step in and say no, including passing laws that is uh, contradictory to the constitution and and so on and so forth. And we had these issues with the prorogation of parliament. It was deemed to be unconstitutional by our highest court. Yet the argument was that the Queen had to do it because she was told to by the Prime Minister. So we have a constitution where our head of state has to act unconstitutionally when told to do so. And that is a farce. Well, I mean, surely, though, perhaps as the historian and Bloomberg opinion columnist told us this morning, Max Hastings, political leaders in the West right now are, in his words, bluffers and boasters. I mean, is it not the case that that Brits um, would prefer, I guess, the devil they know, maybe, if if it, if I can put it that well, if you way? You want bluffers and boasters? Look at the royal family. I mean, these are not these are not people that we should be looking up to or respecting. These are people who demand secrecy and get it. They use that secrecy to lobby um, politicians on their both to protect their own interests and to further their own yep. uh, political agendas. They, you know, they, they do not like to be criticised or contradicted or challenged in any way whatsoever. And they are sitting there now, Charles and William, fully expecting to simply be given the job of head of state right. in the future because of who their parents are. That's right. unacceptable. These are not people that we should be looking up to, respecting or giving any room for whatsoever. All right, Graham, thank you very much for being with us. That's Graham Smith from Republic uh, UK. Uh, obviously, a Republican point of view, but there are many who say the continuation of the constitutional monarchy is a force for stability, focus for national cohesion. We simply wouldn't get with an elected president. Let's talk to Philip Blond, who's director of the think tank Respublica. Philip, welcome to the programme. Thanks for being with us. We just heard from Graham Smith that uh, essentially we, we, we need an elected head of state because that's who we should uh, be looking up to. It's our, be our choice, and we'd have someone who would actually do a job of work. What do you say? Well, I think the answer to that is Donald Trump. Quite simply, you know, there's a, there's, there's a, a facile assumption here that, that um, democracy will guarantee you the outcome you want. And I think what your previous speaker seemed to be conflating was what he wanted and the system that he thought would deliver it. The point about democracy is that it can deliver you all sorts of outcomes that you don't want. And in some cases, democracies can become quasi-totalitarian. And democracy by itself, if it's the only point of legitimacy, is in essence quasi-totalitarian. That's what... Are you really arguing that... ...the tyranny of the majority. So the point is all... Democracies, if they are to be properly democratic, if, and if by that we mean account for those who are not in the majority, need systems of checks and balances. And it's very important for an effective system of checks and balances to have something outside of the democratic system 
to check the democratic system because what we find in most democracies is actually the internal systems of checks and balances aren't at all. They're all populated by the same people. But but, but is that not surely an argument for strengthening parliamentary democracy and, and improving our democratic systems, not by having an unelected head of state? Well, I think there's a strong argument for strengthening the role of the monarchy to strengthen democracy, because the point I would make is that um, is that in very simplistic terms, and it's important to be simplistic, is democracies can can uh, do terrible things. You know, Hitler, as as it's you know every schoolboy knows, but most academics can't recall, was elected uh, into office, and we see the the perversion of democracy in some of those sites where we we would never have thought of it. So many people view what President Trump did in America as that. And what the monarch does, what the constitutional monarchy does, is it provides an important check upon arbitrary power. And the arbitrary power is the power of, of the demos as it is then expressed. But- and the monarch can align that power to to something that transcend contemporary kind but, of political ideology. But, but, Philip, that depends on the magic being there, really, doesn't it? it? You know, we saw it in the funeral of the Duke of Edinburgh. There needs to be pomp and circumstance and, and magic there. And the modern world doesn't really admit to that. If you've got social media going on, we see these people close up in ways that perhaps show them warts and all, so they don't have that power anymore. Well, I think, I don't think that's true. I mean, and I think that what magic is, uh, if we can put it like that, is the idea that we hold to certain values over time. And that's what tradition is. And it's that idea of, of the repetition of tradition and our values that creates social cohesion, that creates agreement and minimizes violence. Because the whole point about monarchs and why, if you go back to the dawn of time, why you have single rulers is they repress conflict. They stop uh, internecine violence. Then the key task is how do you make sure that your monarch is good? You know, how do you make sure that your single ruler is good? And there's there's acres of texts from the earliest times about this. And what what we have done in democracy is we haven't done away with the monarch. We simply elect the monarch. The powers of the monarch are called to the prime minister or the president. But what we have with constitutional monarchy is the idea of a person or a duty or an office that stands above contemporary ideology and limits ideology by saying, by reminding them of the organic values of the nation. And if you think of um, what the king did in Spain to recall Spain after the fascist era back to its democracy in the face of an army coup, that's the role that the monarch preserves. A monarch, because if you look back, it's only recently... If you look back at Europe's dark past, where, where most of the European polities were falling prey to communism or fascism, and Britain didn't, and in part it didn't because it said something other than ideology. There is a good beyond ideology. And if you eliminate the monarch, you eliminate the personification of that. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.